0: Praise you, Father. Praise you. Daddy, we love you today. Thank you. Nothing else that we want. The blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. You know, I was thinking about it in that first song that nothing but the blood that <clears throat> we don't walk in true Christianity unless there's a transfusion of His blood into us. Because his, that's where the power is, that's where it comes, that's where we have the faith. Someone asked me one time, this is kind of controversial, but this is my this is my take on things. Somebody asked me one time, you think the people in the Old Testament were saved? My, my thought is yes. If they had faith in the blood. See, they had the blood of animals, but that looked toward the Messiah to them. And so when they took that blood and believed in that blood that would take away their sin in the Messiah to come. Are you hearing me? It's the same as having faith in the Messiah that came. And that faith transfuses his blood to who you are. And it changes your life. That's how you can come before him with no shame. That's how you can come before him with no reservations. That's how you can come before him. It's with a holy blood transfusion from Jesus Christ. I'm a lot more excited on the inside than you all are on the outside that's good stuff Thank you father for the blood thank you for the blood for the blood father I thank you so much for the ability the the uh, the honor and the privilege to get to come before your spirit to get to come before your throne and and just receive from who you are to receive from your voice to receive from your spirit to receive from your son to receive father what you did by giving your only begotten son jesus christ to die on that cross to give us a holy ghost blood transfusion to give us the freedom to say we can get caught up in you thank you so much today god thank you so much today Good to see you guys this morning. Say hello to somebody if if you didn't a while ago. Say or if you did a while ago, say hello to somebody else. There's plenty of people in here to say hello to, and then you can have a seat. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Amen. Well, how are you all doing this morning? Good to see you. Good to be seen, I guess. I want to welcome our Facebook Live and everybody who's joining us on our live platforms. And and we appreciate you joining us this morning. I hope you got your good cup of coffee, got you, your, your dog or something sitting in your lap. You, you know dogs need to be saved too. Okay, well... Um, he said, Preach the gospel to all creatures. So preach it, preach it to your dog. Amen? All right. Anyways, good to see everybody this morning. Y'all are going to have to get just a little bit livelier for me this morning. I'm expecting a little bit more this morning. I'm expecting a little bit more this morning. Um, anyways, it's, it's good to be here. I uh, hope y'all had a good 4th of July. Um, hold up your hands. All right, everybody's got their fingers. All right, good deal. Um, no, it was, a, it was a good. Did, did anybody else just seem like last night there was just a continual rumble from about seven o'clock until 11 o'clock? And, and uh, I think people were really um, expressing their freedom, their independence, amen? And uh, so it was so good. Uh, we even wasted a little bit of money uh, getting some illegal fireworks. You say, well, pastor... You shouldn't be getting illegal fireworks. Hey, it's my freedom. Amen. I can, Amen. They haven't put up a wall at the Wyoming border yet, so I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going there. So anyways, it's good to see you guys this morning. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that those of you who are joining us live are with us as well. Um, I'm going to kind of do a part two to what I did last week, so if you weren't here last week, you'll just have to catch up. But uh, I'm not going to do a big review or anything but last week we were talking about the sons of Issachar and how I was saying that we as the church especially this church I believe that we are like the sons of Issachar in the Old Testament and uh, I want to give you that scripture real quick in 1st uh, Chronicles chapter 12 verse 32 and this is the <clears throat> scripture we kind of bounced off of last week it says the sons of Issachar who had Understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and their brethren were at their command. We were talking about that scripture last week and how it was during David's, when David was coming into his kingship, that all the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel would come to him. All the warriors were coming to them, coming to him and pledging their loyalty to David. David. And there were thousands of each tribe, thousands, like one tribe was 8,000, one tribe was 12,000, one tribe was 40,000. But the sons of Issachar came, they didn't come with swords and shields and ready for war, they came with what God had given them. And there were only 200 chiefs of them that came, they came with understanding of the times and to know what Israel ought to do in those times. And I believe that we as the church are the same way. We may be small in numbers most of the time. We may be a minority the most of the time, but that minority of people should be able to understand what the times are holding from the word of God and to know what to do from the word of God. Amen? Amen. So with that, um, the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times and to know what Israel ought to do. If you need more clarity on that, you can go back and listen to last week's message. I'm not going to do any review other than what I just did, but, um, but I, I believe that's where we should be. So I want to pray over this real quick, and then we'll get into the word. <clears throat> thank you, Father. Father, I just, I just praise you and thank you for the moments that we have together. And God, in those moments, I pray that your word would transform our hearts and transform our minds. Father, to, to be Um, people who are not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, Father, as we renew our minds today, as we set these things that you've given me to communicate, Father, I pray that it would change us, mold us, and make us into the image of your son, Jesus. We thank you so much for what you're doing, what you continue to do in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. I woke up this morning with a little catch in my throat. That's kind of dangerous in these times to to go, <clears throat> you know, because people start freaking out. I ain't got nothing. I just got a little catch in my throat. So I think it was breathing all that smoke last night. But um, anyway, so if you hear me kind of clearing my throat, then that's that's what's going on. I'm not sick. stay away from me, if you are. In, um, in August of 2017, um, Texas and Louisiana was um, devastated by a category four storm hurricane called Harvey. And in that, I had some very close friends. We have some very close friends. As a matter of fact, where my son is now down in, down in Dayton, Texas, got hammered by Harvey. And um, you know, they were in the middle of the storm down there and it was pretty, pretty epic. Hurricane Harvey was, and to hear the stories and to see the video, it's easy to see people during that time reacting to the storm with the same, probably the same mentality that people were reacting to the flood of Noah. I mean, the waters are rising your houses are being flooded and you don't know what to do. Uh, you know, it's, it's panic, sheer panic and and, and running around uh, like a chicken with his head cut off. You know, it's, it's uh, just, just that panic. And, and we watched people, you know, my friends down there in Dayton, put aside their things and begin to go out and help people. We got to watch people take action saving animals and saving people. Diving off into waters that were infested with critters. Fire ants. I don't know if you've ever been to South Texas, but fire ants stink. Not stink. They, they, they hurt. Little old bitty fire ants light your world. <laughs> and people diving off into the water and just being covered with fire ants trying to help other people and other animals and things like that. And they did it all because they were pushing in to bring hope. And we saw the rescues, we saw the recovery, and we saw the rebuilding that took place. With that in mind, I was thinking about that this week, and and we began a conversation last week talking about the current crisis of our times. Like uh, Hurricane Harvey, it, you know, it's it's easy for us to be flooded with, uh, with the big moments of trouble. It's easy for us to begin to react to those big moments, to react to the riots, to react to the, to the, to the virus, to react to what the politics are saying. It's really easy for us to do those kinds of things. And, and I, I've heard so many people begin to cry out, this is the end times. Can I give you all a little hint? It's been the end times for 2,000 years. We just happen to be in a little pocket, and to us, this is devastating. I'm sure the Apostle Paul thought that Jesus was coming back in his time. You know, some of the, uh, some of the old uh, disciples and prophets and things like that, they probably believed that Messiah was coming in their time. So, you know, why shouldn't we believe that Messiah is coming in our time, coming to get us? But we begin to cry out end times. We begin to cry out mark of the beast and rapture and everybody's trying to, trying to go. Well, let me tell you something. It's not time to go until we do something here to help people go with us. It's not about us. It's about getting other people to go with us. So we can either cry out those kind of things or we can grab our assurance of faith And navigate the waters of crisis around us. Because Issachar understood the times and they they knew what to do in those times. So I feel like that we are people of that spirit. We're people of that temper. We're people of that morale of Issachar. So to understand what I'm talking about, we need to understand Issachar's story. We need to know who he is and what he's about. So I want to share that with you. If you have your Bibles, if you would go over to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis is the first, very first book in in your Bible, I hope. If it's not, you probably got the wrong Bible. (laughs) But um, anyways, Genesis chapter 30 is where I want to go. and, and, And to find out Issachar's story, I believe that you're going to have to go through a soap opera. This reading about, Jay, uh, reading about Jacob, Issachar's father, and, and getting to Issachar, it is a soap opera. Just weird stuff that went on back in those times. So it starts with Issachar's father. It starts with Jacob. Jacob was Issachar's father. Isaac was Jacob's father. Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. So that was the lineage he's come from. He's coming from Abraham. He's coming from a line of people that saw God move in their lives during their times. And so Jacob is in love with this girl named Rachel. He meets this girl named Rachel. She's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. He's in love with her. He goes to her father and says, I want to marry your daughter. And her father Laban, Laban says, all right, if you want to marry my daughter, you got to work for me for seven years. Y'all know the story, maybe. So Jacob is so in love with this girl. He says, all right, free of charge. I will work for you for seven years because she is worth it. She is hot. <laughs> so he works for seven years and he's ready for his wedding day. And he goes into his wedding day and, and they go through the whole ceremony. They don't have a ceremony like we do or he would have known this from the beginning. But they go through this ceremony He goes into the bedroom to consummate the marriage that that night. He wakes up the next morning, consummates marriage, wakes up the next morning. And it's Leah, her sister, that's there. He says, oh my gosh, this girl is kind of (laughs) homely. She's not real attractive. I'm not working for her. Something happened. So he goes to Laban and he says, Laban, what happened here? He says, oh... Well, my oldest daughter needs to be married first. So you married her. And if you want Rachel, you got you to gotta work another seven years for her. And he's like, holy vey. <laughs> so he works another seven years because he loves Rachel. But he's married to Leah. Now, back in these times, I don't understand how they did the, the multiple live thing. You know, I think we've learned a lot from that. <laughs> so we don't do that. <clears throat> but he... My my American Express can only afford one and a daughter. But he works seven more years for Rachel and when he finally gets Rachel, he gets to marry her. So he's married to these sisters. He's got homely and haughty <laughs> that he's married to. And and he finds out that Rachel is barren. She can't have kids. So he's continuing his affairs with his two wives and, and um, Leah is very prosperous in her body and she gives him four kids. kids the, the first four kids that he has is Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And every one of those kids, when you read this story, every one of those kids, every time that Leah has a child, she is hoping for the love of her husband. She says, now maybe he'll love me. I give him another kid. Now maybe he'll love me. And she is just totally rejected, dejected and unloved because he loves Rachel. Rachel can't have any kids. So she says, all right, I've got a handmaiden. I've got this lady that's serving me. Jacob, you can have her. Her name was Bilhah. Bilhah comes in. I don't know Jacob's problem. He says, woo-hoo. <laughs> and he sleeps with Bilhah. And Bilhah is, when, when she gives birth, she conceives, and when she gives birth, they're considered his and Rachel's kids. And she gives birth to Dan and Naphtali. Leah, at this point, she has gone barren. She can't give him any more kids. So she says, I want in this game. She takes her handmaiden and gives it to Jacob. <laughs> and Jacob says, Woohoo. <laughs> and she conceives and has two children named Gad and Asher. Then Leah, all of a sudden, is able to conceive again. She has two more, Issachar and Zebulun, and then God does a miracle in Rachel's body, and she gives him two more kids named Joseph and Benjamin. All these kids that came from all of these four different women make up the 12 tribes of Israel. So I want to get to, to Issachar's story. How did Issachar come along? It's a, it's a really cool, kind of funny story, how Issachar come along. So Genesis chapter 30, y'all with me? I know I gave you a lot of backstory there, but I feel like it's, it's important. But here in Genesis chapter 30, verse 14, it says this, one day, the, one, one day during the wheat harvest, Reuben, the firstborn, found some mandrakes growing in a field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Rachel begged Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah angrily, jealously replied, wasn't it enough that you stole my husband? Now will you steal my son's mandrakes as well? Rachel answered, I will let Jacob sleep with you tonight if you give me some of the mandrakes. I'm telling you, this is messed up. I'll let, Jacob, I'll let Jacob sleep with you tonight <laughs> if you give me some of the mandrakes. So that evening as Jacob, this is funny. So that evening as Jacob was coming home from the fields, Leah went out to meet him and said, <laughs> you must come and sleep with me tonight. Get in my room. I have paid for you. I have prayed, paid for you with some mandrakes that my son found. Now, how would that make Jacob feel? I've been bought with fruit. <laughs> so, it says in verse 17, or it says, so that night he slept with Leah. In verse 17, it says, and God answered Leah's prayers and she became pregnant again and gave birth to a fifth son, her fifth son, Jacob's ninth son, named and she named him Issachar. For she said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband as a wife. So here, here's Issachar. He's he's born, she names him Issachar, which means that there is reward, is what his name means. A reward for what? At this point, Rachel and Leah cannot conceive and so Reuben finds these mandrakes, brings these mandrakes in. Now, I looked up this word mandrake and, and I looked up, I know it's a fruit, but it was a certain kind of fruit that grew there in, in, in the place where they were at in this, in this region. And every one of my sources said that these mandrakes were known as love apples love, that is hilarious. (laughs) Love apples. Because they were considered an aphrodisiac. Rachel, who didn't need an aphrodisiac for Jacob, wanted the love apples. I don't know if her thing was, I've got to have those love apples so that she doesn't conceive again. And she was barren as well at that time. But she takes all the mandrakes, sells him out. And Leah says, there's nothing to turn this guy on. So I'm just going to force him to do this. And what happens? She gets pregnant. To her, that is a reward. Do you see what I mean? She didn't need the love apples. She just needed the man and she got pregnant. And she named the baby Issachar, meaning reward. So now, Issachar is in, you know, in the earth. He's on the scene. He's there. So what is Issachar's story throughout his life? Issachar, between, between, verse, between chapters 30 and 49, Issachar is mentioned twice. And he's only mentioned as a name, not as him doing anything. So when you look at Issachar's life between the time he was born and the time that Jacob dies, he's just a good son. He didn't do nothing great. He didn't do nothing terrible. He's a good son. He, he, he never ruffled any feathers. He didn't do anything no, uh, notable. No great mention of his name for 18 chapters. Then Jacob on his deathbed begins to prophesy to his sons. He has all 12 of his sons in there. If you would go over to verse, uh, chapter 49 in Genesis, and we're going to see what, what Jacob said. And Jacob's on his deathbed, and he begins to prophesy. And I'm just going to go through what he prophesied to Issachar. Listen to what he says about Issachar. Verse 14. Jacob puts his hand on Issachar, and he says, Issachar is a sturdy donkey resting between two saddle packs. When he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land, he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. That's what Jacob says about Issachar. When I read that, things begin to jump out at me because I believe that Issachar, especially when he come to David was a picture of the church, but the church also has this picture of what Jacob began to prophesy over Issachar. And I, and I see this as the church today because for the last couple of centuries, maybe even longer, I see the church as Issachar because we have really ruffled no feathers we haven't done anything of great mention. We haven't done anything notable. We've kind of set back and become the minority. We've kind of set back and not really... Now, there's, there's certain people that voice their opinions, but a lot of times their opinions get them in trouble instead of advance the kingdom. Are you with me? Yes. I, I, love, I love that we have voices in the church but sometimes those voices get left out in the open and not supported. We ruffle no feathers. We do nothing notable. But see Jacob here prophesying over his son, I believe that it is the perfect picture of our father prophesying over us. Are you with me? The father is... The the, Jacob is a picture of the father, God, speaking our identity through Issachar. So as we go through these, I want to go through these verses real quick and and just point out some things to you. Uh, Jacob said about Issachar, he said, Issachar is a sturdy donkey. Now listen, that is not an excuse to be a jack wagon. It's not an excuse to be a donkey yourself. Many in the church think that our voice means that we get to be a donkey. Are you with me? He said Issachar is a sturdy donkey. The word sturdy there means to be strong and well-abled. He's a strong and well-abled donkey. In other words, that donkey can be counted on to carry the load. God is looking at us as the church and he's saying, you all can be counted on to carry the load. You are like a strong donkey. You are able to carry the load. Father, God looks at the times that we live in. Let me tell you something. God ain't surprised by the times we live in. He knows and he knew what time that you would be born into. And he knows that. So when he looks at the times that we live in, he wants us to know, he wants you to know that you can bear the burden of these times. You're stout. You're strong, no matter what you even think about yourself. You're stout and you're strong. You've been called to be a child of his for this time. He goes on and he says the second thing he sees, Issachar sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land. What we have to understand is that we have the ability to see the good and the beauty of every season. Did you hear what I said? We have the ability to see the good in every season, the beauty of every season even the trouble, even in times of trouble, it is not for us to be the ones to point out the trouble. It's for us to to point out the beauty and the goodness of the times. No matter how bad the times look, there's always beauty in there. You see, anytime you see God stepping into anything, there is always a goodness of God that happens. He is a good God. And he shows us, he gives us beauty for ashes. How, how many of us can look at a fire pit and go, man, that's pretty. But God is saying there's something beautiful in it. You have the ability to look at the beauty, not sit around and point out the grossness. See, when life unleashes the floodwaters into our times, it's up to us to launch a boat. And when the boat fills up with water, it's time for us to walk on the water. we got to find the beauty. We've got to find the pleasant. we got to find the good in everything. Amen? Amen? The third thing that he mentions here is he said he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. God has given us the ability to humble ourselves to the weight of the times and to serve. What are we going to do in the times when, when hard times come, when bad times come? What are we going to do? Are we going to rise up and tell everybody how bad they are? Or are we going to humble ourselves and serve people? Yeah. To take that load of the times and to step into the seasons, to step into those places and begin to serve people. Yeah. Begin to serve I was on a podcast a while back and it was, it was not a, you know, deemed a Christian podcast. It was just a, it was just a good leadership podcast and I got to share some things and and God dropped something into me as I was talking to these guys. One of them asked a question about, you know, hard times and things like that. And, and what, what do, uh, I'm not going to use his words, but he says, what do you do when people are jerks? And I said, you got to, you got to serve them. You got to serve people, even when they're jerks. You got to serve them because in this, what God dropped into me, he says, when you serve, you step into God's territory because God is, God is there to serve. He serves you even when you don't deserve to be served. And when we serve people, Even when they're being jerks, even when the times are hard, when we step into a servitude, we step into his territory. And you begin to be engulfed with his presence when you serve people. See, Jesus told us, some of y'all are looking at me like you're not convinced. Jesus told us when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love God and love people. But in order to prove your love for God, you have to serve people to prove your love for God. He said, you want, you you know, you can stand around all day and say, oh, I love you, God. I can sing all the worship songs, raise my hands, and tell him how much I love him and how good he is. But that don't mean nothing until you start serving and loving people. You step into his territory. Love them even when they don't deserve to be loved. Amen wow, you guys are quiet today. (laughs) So with these three traits that I just gave you from this this scripture, these three, three traits of the church is likened to Issachar's ability. They're not attainable without a fourth. There's a fourth one that I want to give to you. And I believe that the fourth one is the most important attribute. And it goes back to verse 14. Look at verse 14. It says, Issachar is a sturdy donkey resting between two saddle packs. Resting between two saddle packs. There's always, for a sturdy donkey, there is always two saddle packs on either side. I want you to hold that thought for just a second. I'm going to try to get to see what, what that thing is. See, Issachar in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 <clears throat> when they stepped in, stepped up to David, you're holding the thought of the saddle packs, right? You're holding that thought. When you fast forward into First Chronicles chapter 12, Issachar comes to David and they know, they understand the times and they know what to do. How do they understand the times and know what to do? Is because they are astronomers and astrologers. That's what they're good at. They're astronomers and astrologers. Now, when I say astrologers, they're not doing horoscopes, all right? That's not what that means. But they have the ability to look at the stars, to look at the solar, to look at the lunar, and know how to navigate what times they're in. They were the ones that set the calendars. They were the ones, back then, they didn't have calendars. They didn't have iPhones. Seriously, they didn't have iPhones back then. So they didn't have this ability to to raise their phones up and look and see what the day was and what's on their calendar for the day. The sons of Issachar were the ones that said, this is the beginnings of the years. This is the beginnings of the weeks, the months, the the years. These are the the, uh, appointed times of God. These are the holidays. These are the holy days. These are the times. They were the ones able to do those kinds of things. But the sons of Issachar also studied and excelled in the word of Torah, the word of the law. They knew the law so well that they knew what needed to be done, what could be done and didn't need to be done and shouldn't be done for them to advance the kingdom forward. And they, were, and they, they, they took the nation and, and the nation trusted them with the wisdom, the experience and the skill for the direction and advice, for direction and advice on what to do. It's what the sons of Issachar did. So here's my point today. And this, when I say this, it might make some people mad in Christianity. And, and you know what? I don't have time to worry about you being mad. Just get happy in the same shoes you got mad in. You don't have to agree. Amen. You don't have to agree with me, but listen, this is, this is, this is my beef. I've got the mic right now. This is my beef. But I look at this, these attributes of Issachar, what I just talked about, knowing the times and understanding the word and knowing what Israel ought to do and being trusted. Shouldn't that be Christianity in the church right now? Shouldn't we have those things that the people, that people that aren't even churchgoers trust us to know what's going on in this world? To be able to leverage the Kairos moments. We talk about those times. Lynette preached at the very beginning of the year about Kairos and Kronos. And Kairos are those appointed times that God puts you in to have those moments that, that we understand where God needs to interject himself into, and he gives us those moments, those kairos moments, that we should be able to leverage the kairos moments to know the word and to be trusted with that. But instead, we see these times that we're living in, and we start blaming. I cannot tell you how many Christians I've heard blame the devil on these times. Now, that's okay. Blame the devil. He's a rotten sack of stuff anyways. But we go to blaming the devil. We go to blaming the ungodly people for what's going on in our world. We go to blaming the right or the left, President Trump or Pelosi. We start blaming all these things. We start looking to cast blame. All the while knowing that the church is the ones responsible for the times that we live in today. It's not them who've allowed all this crap to happen. Sorry, all this stuff to happen. It's us. The church is responsible for the times we live in. You say, well, pastor, that puts a lot of weight on us. Sorry. Not sorry. Sorry because I'm in it with you. People are doing what they're doing because we haven't got a hold of things. We've been Issachar. We haven't been notable. We haven't been memorable. We haven't ruffled any feathers. And like Issachar, as his father begins to prophesy to him these things, We have to understand and we have to know as the church that we are the catalyst for the shifting climates we live in. We are the catalyst. The church is the catalyst. And like Issachar, we are the ones to shoulder the leadership of the load of crisis times. We are the ones that should be leading this thing. See, Issachar, likening to the church, is between two evenly weighted saddle packs. The two saddle packs, for that donkey to be sturdy, to go over the hills and the rocks and the things that he needs to go through, through the hard times, for the donkey to be sturdy, he's got to have even weights. You can't offset the weights, you've got to carry the weights evenly. Are you with me? There's got to be two evenly set weights. And these two saddle packs are the responsibilities of our times. There was a um, rabbi by the name of Rashi. I found this in one of my commentaries. He was a a rabbi during uh, the, uh, I don't even know how to say it, the 1100s. I was trying to find the century there. What, that'd be the thousandth century, wouldn't it? No, the 10th century, right? 10th century? During the 1100s, he was a rabbi in, in France. And he says, he said this about Issachar. Issachar's spiritual role was to be, was a bearer of the Torah or the law of Moses and a cultivator of the spiritual treasures of the people. He was to be a bearer between the law between the word of God and the spiritual treasures from the word. He was the one to carry the evenly weighted law and spirit. The law and the spirit. So I look at our times and I I ask these questions and I know that you're asking the same questions. Why are the people of our time tearing down monuments and deleting history? Why are people rioting and protesting and calling for the removal of law enforcement and the removal of antiquated laws? Why are people doing that? Can I just say, because the church has done the same thing. The church has torn down our monuments and memorials by dividing the old and the New Testament. The Old and New Testament is one testament. There's the original and there's the renewed through Jesus Christ. But they're not divided out and they're not separate. They're all one. In some cases, we've even printed this word with just the New Testament and then called it evangelism. Now, I I love the Gideons. I love the Gideons, the, the ministry of the Gideons. Because when I was on a college campus, they gave me a little mini New Testament but they gave me a New Testament. They didn't give me the whole Bible. And they called it evangelism. Now, I'm not bagging on them. They're doing what they do. They're a good ministry. I love them. Amen? Yes. Not bagging on them. But what have we done? We've removed the old things. We've removed the Ten Commandments even. Oh, man. We've taught from pulpits that the Old Testament doesn't apply to us today. Irrelevant. Now, you won't hear me talking that way, but there are people that talk that way. They're saying that you, you can't preach from the Old Testament. The Old Testament has passed away. It's old stuff. You can only use that for stories to carry out your New Testament deals. I don't agree with that. I think it's great that you can do that, but I don't agree with it. And there's some that are... That, um, that tell that the law of Moses is dilapidated and that even though 10 commandments don't even apply to us today. Do you know what you're doing? You're bringing lawlessness in. You're removing the law and the very thing that enforces what's right and wrong in our lives. I mean, there, there's a lot of places that I could go with this right now, but I'm not going to. I'll do that later. I'll just leave it up to you because I trust you. I know that God has given you the ability to go in and find these things for yourself. A man named George Santayana said this, and you've probably heard it before. says, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. See, what we've done is we've told the next generation to have Vision. And that's good. Have vision. We all need to have vision. Amen. Amen. We need to have vision. We need to be able to, to look into the future and set some goals and set some, some things in place so that we have a place to go. And we've told people, these, this next generation, we've told them, focus on the future. But sometimes when we're just telling people to focus on the future, we're communicating to forget the past to forget the law and focus on the future and the spirit only. But that's in imbalance when we forget the past. When we tear down our monuments and memorials, we forget the past. And when you have that kind of imbalance, you can never be a sturdy donkey going into the future. If you don't understand your past and you don't know how to stand on the foundation, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's still a foundation that you need to stand on that will launch you into your future. But if you have nothing to launch you into your future, you ain't going to get launched. You're going to fall into a black hole. And it's, it's not going to take you anywhere but down. The church is responsible for all of this because we're carrying about evenly weighted packs of the past and the future, the law and the spirit. Because we are a catalyst to the shifting climates that we live in. Are you okay? Let's get back to Issachar. Issachar was the fifth son of Leah. The number five means grace. He was a grace gift. The number number five always comes back to grace. But he was the ninth son of Jacob. So when Jacob begins to prophesy to him as the ninth son, the number nine means judgment. And judgment is not power to condemn people in their actions. That's not what judgment is about. It's not for us to judge people and condemn them for their actions. God has not given us that power. He's given Jesus that power. And that comes at the end of time when we stand before him. So judgment is not about power to condemn people in their actions, but judgment is about carrying the balanced weights of understanding the times and knowing what to do. We take the times that we live in and we find what the word says about them and we know what to do to go through them and to take everybody with us, to be that catalyst, to be that leader through crisis times. We are the ones to hold the judgment of those things, not people. The judgment of the times, not the judgment of the people. Because when we do that, it produces faith of the spirit, hope of Jesus and the love of the Father. Faith, hope, and love. So what do we do? What do we do as the sons of Issachar, as the sturdy donkey that's been given the weight of two packs so that we can go through the times and we can navigate the rocks of crisis, so that we can go through the mountains and we can go through the floodwaters what do we do? I've got three ways to step into Issachar because you're the church. Three ways to do that. You ready? It's really simple. They're, they all start with the letter V. Okay, Sesame Street time. <laughs> Number one, we've got to have a voice, we have to have a voice. We don't have a voice for intentional conflict. We have a voice because God has given us the ability to know what to do. In Romans chapter, eight verse, or Romans chapter 10 verse 8, it says that the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith, which we preach. The word of faith is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. He has given us a voice to take the word and speak the word and bring the word into our time to give us a voice to know how to do what we need to do, to understand and know how to do what we need to do. Here a few weeks ago, a lady in this church <clears throat> was invited to go down to our capital to listen to our lawmakers of this state try to determine whether they're going to make your kids receive a virus Shot, and the lawmakers are running over the voice of the people in order to set these things in motion and This lady in our church goes down there with her kids and with her friends to hear what 's being said and to begin to voice what is right in the times that we live in it 's not right that you know her her thought on this matter is it 's not right that you give women the freedom with their body, but you give kids no freedom with their body or parents freedom with their kids' bodies to know what's right for them. And so she's down there and, and, and things begin to happen and they won't let them go in, but she becomes a voice in the room to calm everybody down when everybody gets all riled up in the times to bring everybody together and say, let's find a solution, not magnify the problem. We have to become a voice, not of conflict, but of understanding the times and knowing what to do in those times. Amen. we need to be a voice. Number two, vote. We are in an election season and they're trying every way in the world to keep us from being in one. Because the government's wanting us not to vote. But see, we have been given a right to vote. We live in a democracy. We have to exercise our rights and our privileges. And what has happened is the church has been pushed out of the political arena because of separation of church and state. Did you know that separation of church and state was not for the government to separate from churches? It was for the churches not to have the government put on them? It was for us, not them. We need to get back involved. The church needs to stand up and be a voice and vote. We need to get back into the political arena. The president has given me the ability to do that this election season. He has turned everything around to where I don't get in trouble. I don't get my 5013C canceled because I say something about voting, say something about politics. But you know what? It didn't scare me anyways. But here's the deal. We need to exercise the freedoms and the rights and the privileges that we've been given in this country christian or non-christian but especially as the church we need to be we need to we need to get out there and we need to do our thing we need to do our part and here's my advice is devote your values not a personality third thing violent prayer we need a voice we need to vote and we need violent prayer not that mamsy pamsy stuff Oh Jesus, you're so good. No, God, we need help. We need, we need to have violent prayer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, it says, "From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. We have to take the kingdom of heaven. We have to bring the kingdom of heaven into now violently. We can't be soft on this deal. We need to bring the kingdom into this violently. Yes. We need the blood of Jesus. Yes. We need the spirit of God. He said that we are to bring heaven to earth. We are a sturdy donkey carrying into this earth the weighted packs of heaven and earth. Yes. Walking through these times. Heaven and earth. Amen. Amen. So we need a voice, we need to vote, and we need violent prayer. The last thing I'm going to say as the sons of Issachar, I heard something this week in a video. It was uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw from Texas. He's, in, he's a former Navy SEAL. He was talking to a guy and, and I believe what he said has to do with us as the church. What he said was the the attitude, I believe with all my heart, it was the attitude of the sons of Issachar when they stepped into David's camp. This was their attitude. This was how they were going to lead those warriors into battle, to lead the king and the kingdom into war and to battle and to defend themselves. This, This congressman said this, and I believe it's about us as the church. He said, when the bullets are flying past my head, I don't raise my voice in panic. Panic breeds panic. Calm breeds calm. Exuding exuding positivity and calmness in crisis is how we ask our seals to lead. He said when bullets are flying, when crisis is happening, when the heat is on, we don't lose our minds. Church, we don't lose our minds. Church, we've got to bring calm into calm. Say, well, isn't that leading the people wrong? No, it's leading people to have a head on their shoulders to know what to do and how to move through these times. That's how the seals are called to lead. That's what comes out of them when their heart, heartbeat, their, their, their heart rate goes up, when their blood pressure goes up everything comes even lower in attitude. See, David's soldiers were the best on the planet. They were the seals of his time. They were called the mighty men. And those 300 mighty men and those thousands and thousands of warriors were all led by the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do in crisis. With this same spirit... Let us lead in these times of crisis. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And I hope I communicated that all right. I hope you're encouraged. I hope that you leave out of this place going, I've got a job to do because I'm a sturdy donkey. I'm a sturdy little donkey. I may be little, but I'm strong. I may be few, but I'm many. Times may be crazy, but I'm calm because I know God's got this thing and I know that he uses me to get us through. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father. Father, you are so good. Father, I thank you so much for trusting us. I thank you for giving the trust to us to carry the load that we carry. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for allowing our past and the memorials that we have been given through your word and through the stuff that we are not even sure about in the Old Testament I pray that we don't ever tear those down and throw those away, that we would use those as a launch pad, that you would send us into those things and begin to show us your mysteries in order to get into the future. Father, I just thank you so much for what you've given us in your word. And I thank you, for the, I thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us in the ways that we should go in order to understand the times and know what to do. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that if there's anybody here in this room or under the sound of my voice that has never come into a relationship with you, has never come into that place where they have trusted you, Father, I pray that in this moment that they would set their heart in a place where they can see Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. He's a bloody mess, but his eyes are open looking into our eyes. And he says to us exactly what he said to every one of his disciples. He says, will you come and follow me? Right now, Father, I pray that if there's anybody in this room or anybody watching or listening that needs to come come and follow Jesus, come and follow you, to be a member of your family, that they would say yes to Jesus right now. To say, yes, I will come and follow you. Father, I just thank you so much for those that are saying yes right now. Father, I thank you for the hearts that are being shifted for the voice of your spirit to be able to ring in people's ears and that they can begin to hear what you're saying in your word as they read your word, that it becomes alive to them. Father, I thank you so much for those that would say yes, that you bring them into your family. Thank you, Father, for all that you do. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, and we glorify you and praise you and magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.